I love that, that image of uh, the roots going deep. Um, you know, I don't, I don't have a vineyard in my backyard, but I can understand that, that idea that you would cause a plant to go through a time of stress and hardship so that it might reach deeper into the soil for what it needs, the nutrients it needs. And we're going to talk about that this morning, this idea of hardship and struggle and, and how when we go through hardship, we actually can make deeper connections with people around us and with our God, that even in hardship, God can be at work helping us learn something new. There's, there's a gift, a certain kind of gift in the midst of our pain. And I know you might be going, yeah, okay, right. Sounds good, Nate. You know, I, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know the kinds of things I've had to face. And, uh, and I know it's not easy to even say that. Remember last week, we, we talked about the cry of wisdom. And sometimes it sounds like this, what was I thinking? Now, that's the cry of wisdom. What was I thinking? Why did I do that? There's this pain that sometimes comes with our foolish choices, and we could have made a wise choice, but we didn't. What was I thinking? I remember one time I was saying that. I was in a hospital in Minnesota in the winter, and I sat in the emergency room with a towel wrapped around my right hand, my middle finger just torn apart. It was, um, it was a winter in, in Minnesota. The snow had been coming down all day, this wet, heavy snow. So I'd been in my driveway with the snowblower cleaning the snow off, and it kept jamming up the snowblower. So I would let go of the handles, and the engine would kill, and then I would clean out the chute to get that snow out of the way so it could start working again. The fourth time I stopped to clean the chute out, I forgot to let go of the handle, and I stuck my hand in that chute, and it yeah, you know what's coming. Snap, you know, I grabbed my glove and ripped my glove off and also took the tip of my finger. So as I went into the emergency room, the nurse behind the counter said, you're our third one today, you know. <laughs> Welcome to winter in Minnesota, you know, snowblower capital of the world. So I sat um, in a hallway just outside the emergency room for about 45 minutes. And uh, the pain was so strong, I had to get, I was pacing the hallway. I had to move. If I sat, I started to feel queasy and I might pass out. So I kept moving. Finally, a doctor came up and said, hey, let's get an x-ray on that finger. I said, well, do you think I could get a little pain medicine? You know, because it really hurts. He goes, you haven't had any Novocaine yet. And so he took me to a little room and, and gave me Novocaine. I've never been so happy to get numb in my life. And, um, and he went about repairing the finger. And, and she's a bit shorter than the other middle finger, but she's working just fine. You know, she's, she's keeping up with me these days. Um, you know, physical pain is, is one thing, but emotional pain relational pain, those, those are a different kind of pain. How many of you have been through a season of pain in your life, physically or relationally or emotionally? How many of you ever had what you would call a season of hardship and pain? Yeah, most of us could put our, our hands up. So it's, when I say, you know, there's a gift in pain, it just feels a little unnatural to even say that. I wish that wasn't in our vocabulary. But we need to make some kind of sense of the hardships that we sometimes have to go through. We've all sat with friends who have struggled when they've lost a job or a relationship, or a family member who's passed away. We've, we've wanted to take that hardship away from them. We've wanted to carry it ourselves sometimes. And many of us have been in that place of grief and sorrow. And if we're honest, there's really no amount of money, there's no privilege that someone could offer to us that would make us want to go back and live through that again. We, we may have come through it. We might feel as though we learned some things through it. We might even see the good things that God was doing in the midst of that season. We may have a new hope and a new joy but most of us would not choose to go back into those difficult seasons, those times of challenge. In Angela's work with couples, there's often times where they have to have hard conversations. They have to kind of fight out things in the midst of those counseling sessions. And sometimes it only happens when they're with Angela because she's able to create a safe place for them where they can actually talk about what's going on. Most of us don't enjoy those kinds of conversations. 
And Angela tells me that, that people aren't unwilling to move towards difficult conversations. They just feel unable to do it well. It's not that we're unwilling to go into seasons of hardship or tough conversations or to face the, the sorrow of our life. It's just sometimes we don't really know how to do it well. We feel unable, equipped to face those hard things in our life. We know how to laugh. Couples know how to enjoy dinner together. We like to be with our friends. There's a lot of fun around that, but we don't have a lot of practice in facing the tears and pain of hard conversations. And the, the truth is, we can't move towards, if we can't move towards sadness and vulnerability in our relationships, that laughter will disappear eventually as well. Uh, because the laughter is based on the depth of connection, on the trust that you have in your relationships. And, and hardship brings about those kinds of deeper roots that Andrew was talking about. I say this because in general terms, happy times teach us less than hard times. Generally speaking, happy times teach us less than hard times. And that's why we have a book like Ecclesiastes in the middle of our Bible. Ecclesiastes is this uh, book of wisdom in the middle of Scripture, and it puts us in a corner and makes us face the hardships of life, the times when life doesn't make sense to us, when suffering seems to catch us off guard. The Greek word Ecclesiastes has to do with this idea of a, a person who gathers a, pe- a people together for a discussion. So it's come to mean like the teacher, the, the, the one who wants to talk about things and, and teach a lesson to us. And the teacher in this book is, is King Solomon. And his main point in Ecclesiastes, and he makes it about 38 different times, he uses this phrase, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. 38 times he talks about that. As we struggle to find purpose in, in our work, in our relationships, in our achievements, in our social status, as we struggle to find meaning and purpose in our wealth, our comfort, our ability to influence others, Solomon says over and over again, that struggle is meaningless. It's like trying to grab the wind or capture smoke. Or if any of you enjoy the sound of music, it's like trying to solve a problem like Maria, right? Trying to hold a moonbeam in your hand as the song goes. It's meaningless. It's challenging. Apart from God, life just doesn't add up. Time and death will, will take everything from us. There's no guarantees. So Ecclesiastes, basically, it's a real happy book. Lots of laughs in Ecclesiastes. Uh, no, there's not. But, but it is a book of wisdom, and we want to look at it this morning. I'd like to read with you Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 1 through 11. And on your pews there, you're going to find a little half sheet of paper that has that passage on it. It's mislabeled, I got to tell you. It says Proverbs 7 at the top. It's actually Ecclesiastes 7. That's on me, uh, that little mistake there. But this is Ecclesiastes 7 verses 1 through 11. And I'd like to read it with you this morning. And I'd like you to interact with the text as we read. So that's why I have these little print-offs for you. So you can mark these up and make notations. If you're watching at home, uh, you can join us. Just grab your Bible, uh, grab a pencil so you can erase later. But we're going to make some notes on our Bibles this morning as we're reading. So on the little half sheet of paper there, it says there's four different kinds of notations I want you to consider making as we read this together. Uh, First, underline key words. So any words that you see repeated, any words that you think are important to the whole of the passage, just underline those, those key words. Uh, Draw connecting arrows with ideas where there's ideas that are connected together. So if this phrase over here connects with another phrase in another verse, draw an arrow so you can see how those are connected together. Third kind of notation you can make, cross out words you don't like. Now, it's dangerous for me to say that in front of you this morning. We don't get to cross out passages of Scripture and say, those don't apply to me. We have to wrestle with the hard things that the Bible says. But it's okay to be honest 
and say, you know what, I don't like that word. I don't like those verses there. Uh, so I just want you to be honest. If you don't like it, you cross it out. We still have to deal with it. We still have to talk to God and say, help me understand what you're wanting to say to me. But I think it's good to be honest about things that we don't like to read in Scripture and be honest about that. Finally, circle strange words. Any words that are weird or catch you off guard, you're not sure what they're talking about, go ahead and circle those words. So I want to have you do that while we're reading through it together. And just so you know, this is just for you. Uh, you, These aren't going to be collected at the end. You're not going to find it tomorrow with like a negative 10 in red across the top or incomplete or something like that. Um, This is just one way to approach Scripture, to wrestle with the Bible in a way that maybe might be redemptive and helpful in your life. So I want to encourage you to do that. So I'm going to read Ecclesiastes 7, verses 1 through 11. While I'm doing that, you can underline and connect and cross out and circle things that jump off the passage to you as we're reading. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 1. The teacher says, A good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of death better than the day of birth. It's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, for death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Frustration is better than laughter, because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. It's better to heed the rebuke of a wise person than to listen to the song of fools. Like the crackling of thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of fools. This too is meaningless. Extortion turns the wise into fools, and a bribe corrupts the heart. The end of a matter is better than its beginning, and patience is better than pride. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. Verse 10, do not say, why were those old days better than these? For it's not wise to ask such questions. Wisdom, like an inheritance, is a good thing and benefits those who see the sun. So let's go back and look at these passage, this passage together. You might want to continue to make notes on your page as we go through here. We're going to look at these verse by verse And uh, feel free to continue to jot things down. Verse 1, a good name is better than fine perfume. Your name, your reputation has value to it. It's worth more uh, than any cryptocurrency you might have. Well, that's going down. Uh, Not that. Uh, It's worth more than any gas you put into your car, all right, as that continues to go up. Uh, There is value to it. Back in the ancient world, perfume and fragrant oil and lotions, they were rare. And so there was value to them if you had them. Proverbs 22 echoes this the sentiment, choose a good reputation over great riches. Being held in high esteem is better than silver or gold. The way that you land on other people, the ripples of your life into the lives of others, how that hits them, a good reputation has value to it. And in the same way, the rest of the verse says, in the same way, the day you die is better than the day you were born. I just, that one hits me, I'm like, okay you got to talk to me about that, because that doesn't seem like the way I think about things. We celebrate our birthdays with balloons and cake, but at funerals, they don't have balloons at funerals. So if we could just step back from a little bit of the unknown of death, I think a lot of times when we think about death, um, we, we have a response that might be like fear, because of all the unknowns around it. So if we just step back from that for a moment, think about when you're born and when you're near the end of your life, how are they different? When you're born, you're in a place of total dependence, right? You have zero freedom. You're totally ignorant of everything. 
Babies don't know how to do anything, especially sleep through the night, right? They, they just don't know how to do things. But at the end of your life, at the end of your life, you may have gained some wisdom. You may have some knowledge about how things work. You can look back at experiences and relationships. There might be some regrets, but there's also good memories, fond, you know, deep connections with other people, things that bring you joy when you think about them. At the end of your life, you might have a, a good reputation that the verse starts, the, the beginning of that verse talks about. Uh, you could draw a, a, a line connecting that idea of a good reputation in the day of your death. You might have a good reputation, and newborns, they don't have reputations, right? They haven't lived, they haven't, they don't, there's no name for them yet to even uh, build. And so at the end of your life, if a reputation has value, like verse 1 says, then at the end of your life, there might be value in your reputation, a kind of value that you won't have when you're just starting out at the beginning. Many of us also believe that the day of our death is actually not the end of the story, that there is more yet to come after we walk through death, that there is everlasting life. Jesus died and rose again. He showed us that, that death is not the end of the story for any of us. And so when we think about the end of our lives physically, it's not as scary as we others might think it is. In fact, Paul in the New Testament would write to his friends in Philippi about the end of his life. He said this in, in Philippians chapter 1. Paul says, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. To die is better, he says. That, that just doesn't, that's not our normal way of thinking about life and death. Paul says, I'm torn between the two. I desire to, be, to, to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. This is, a, this is a point of view about life and death that many of us struggle to embrace in our everyday lives, but it's a, it's a challenge we should lean into, that death is not the end of our story, and actually there are things coming that we look forward to after death. Verse 2 continues this theme, and you can see in verse 2 this formula that the writer has here throughout Ecclesiastes 7, that, that X is better than Y. We see it over and over again in this passage. X is better than Y. Uh, your day of death is better than your day of birth. Verse 2, the house of mourning is better than the house of feasting. Later on, sorrow is better than laughter. Rebuke is better than songs. Endings are better than beginnings. This is all counterintuitive for us. That's why it's such a, a, a challenging book, because that's not normally how we think about things. And yet, and yet the teacher here is saying, listen to me. These are better. They're better or worse related to how they help us gain wisdom because that's his desire for us, that we would become wise in how we approach life. Hardship and mourning, rebuke and endings, all of these are wisdom accelerators in our lives. They help us grow. They shift us into a higher gear when it comes to gaining wisdom. If you want to grow in your ability to make good judgments, to, to put on the scales good and evil, to, to know justice and injustice where well, you want wisdom. That's what you're seeking. Remember our definition of wisdom. Wisdom is knowledge applied to life experience. So wisdom is this base of knowledge that we have and we start to apply it to our experiences, our interactions with people, with our work. And wisdom is, is those two things coming together. Wisdom can help us see the benefit of hardship and pain. Wisdom can help us see why sorrow can be better than laughter. Look at verse 2. It's better to go into the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Again, that, that sounds morbid to us, but that's not what the teacher is going for. He's not just trying to be morbid. His desire is to help us see reality. 
to, to let go of our fantasies about how life is going to go for us and to embrace the truth that we have a limited number of days on this physical earth. And if we would let that sink in to our hearts and sink into our minds, we might actually start to live in, in different ways. We might actually start to live with more purpose and intention, with wisdom in a more intentional way. It reminds me of, of what Moses wrote in, in Psalm 90. Moses says, Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. Sounds like, a lot like Ecclesiastes there. And then Moses says, Father God, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to be anchored in reality that we might become men and women who are wise. It sounds a lot like verse 3. Frustration is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. We all like to laugh and, and have fun with others, but laughter seldom brings the kind of depth and connection that, that going through hardship can bring. Like, like, who will you remember more? Will you remember someone you bump into on the dance floor at a wedding? Or will you remember someone who you cry with at a funeral? Who, who will make more of an impact on you? Someone who shows up in the emergency room or someone who comes in when you're going in for cancer treatment. Someone who comes to your door and brings a meal when you've lost a mom or a dad or a brother or sister. Someone who is with you in those hard days. There's a, there's a depth of connection with those who walk with us when we're facing hardship that we just don't experience when we're just laughing together. We like to laugh. It's good to laugh. But there's a depth that comes in hardship. It reminds me of what Andrew was saying about like the forced a drought on the vine causes the roots to go deeper. I think that's true. Frustration and sorrow can also cause us to allow our hearts to move in new ways, to change. It can exercise our hearts and create this possibility for this inner strength and empathy for others that we don't have right now before we go through hardship. Instead of feeling just pity for other people, we actually can enter in with them and relate to them in a deeper way because we've gone through hardship ourselves. And we can offer comfort and hope in the midst of those challenging days. The comfort that God brings into your life, by His grace, it will be used to bring comfort to others. And there is a, there's a depth and a power in that kind of broken heart. There's a depth and a strength in that that just can't be matched by the giggles of the carefree, right? Because we come alongside others who struggle. We can all think of stories. I mean, we could tell stories of times in our lives when we struggled. My mind goes back to when I was in Minnesota um, and just starting out as a youth pastor, we had two small kids at the house, and uh, the church couldn't pay me much, and so there were times when I wasn't sure how we were going to pay for our bills, and I remember one particular season where I wasn't getting paid for another six days, and we were out of food and had no money to buy food, and I wasn't sure what we were going to do, and someone came to the door of the parsonage where we were living, and they had a card for us, hey, just thinking about you guys, and gave us a card and left, and inside the card there was cash, there was like $200 that we could use to get groceries. That person understood and met me. I, I, rem I remember them because they met me in the, in the challenging season that I was in. There's a sensitivity that comes when you go through hardship. It's one of the reasons we have out in the lobby these, these black tag bags, if you guys have seen these, at the, by the elevator down by the office entrance, these little bags that we offer to people. And 
there's some that are full and some that are empty. And if you need food this morning, you can take a full bag with you. If you have a neighbor that you know needs something, you can take a full bag of food with you and, and share with others. But we can also take these empty ones and, and, and fill them up. There's a little list of things to buy and bring them back and put them back on the stands so they're available the next time someone needs, has a need like this. We, we have these bags because someone in our church went through a season of hardship and struggle and understands that this is something that can mean something to someone else. That's what happens in your heart when you go through hardship. There's a depth that comes. There's a connection there. There's an interesting connection also here in verse 3 and verse 9. If you just look at those with me. Verse 3 says, frustration is better than laughter. Verse 9 says, do not be quickly provoked in your spirit. That word frustration in 3 and the word provoked in 9, it's actually the same Hebrew word. There's a connection there that's interesting to think about. It creates a tension for me. Because three says it's better to be frustrated, while nine says don't be quickly provoked, don't be quickly frustrated. There's, there's this tension that this, the passage is trying to help us understand. There are days when our faces are sad. There's, a, there's days when it's good for us to have more serious approach to life. It helps us to live deeply, helps us to live authentically. At the same time, those emotions of sadness and frustration should not be the alarm clock that wakes us up every morning. They should not be the first stop in our conversation with others. Solomon isn't encouraging us to be irritable and easily offended. He's saying there's, there's tension here. You need to be honest about what you're going through, but also don't just stay there. Don't quickly move toward that place. How do you, how do you balance that out? Well, that's where we need wisdom. That's where we need a good friend to help us know when it's time to get out of the dumps and like, let's get into what is good in life. And, and yet at the same time, when there are hardships, let's be honest about that and work through that together. Back in verse 4, we're back into the house of mourning that we found in, in verse chapter 2. It's better to be in the house of mourning than it is to be in the house of, of pleasure, the house of feasting. And again, this is hard to get my arms around because if you showed up at my door and you said, hey, Nate, I, I'm going to make you cry. I can make you cry with this delicious food from Jack Stacks because it's so delicious, you'll cry. Or I can make you cry with just some terrible news. You know, do you want a box of barbecue or a box of bad news? I'm choosing the barbecue every time, you know, I'll st sticky fingers and a full stomach, that sounds good to me. And I think that's part of the point of the, the teacher here. Feasting and pleasure is all about us and what we want, what feels good to us. But in the house of mourning, when we, our faces are sad, we have to experience something that isn't our choice and it causes us to reach outside ourselves. It causes us to turn to others, to look for support, to turn to God to ask him what he's doing in the midst of those days. We actually can move towards community when we're hurting. There's a blessing in that. That's why Jesus said at one point, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are you when you have hardship because it might help you make some deeper connection to those around you, your friends, your family, your neighbors, your coworkers. Might, you might have a deeper connection to the Spirit of God because of that. There's actually something worse than pain in our world today. There's something worse that we can experience. It's numbness. Numbness is worse than pain. Pain can be an asset to help us grow, help us experience sensitivity towards others, help us grow in our reliance on God. But when you're numb, you just can't, you can't feel anything. And life, life is shallow. When you're numb, you can't receive comfort. Back in my emergency room days in Minnesota when I had that finger accident, once my finger was numbed out, I was happy it was numb. But imagine if the feeling never came back. If I never could feel that finger any longer, if, I, if when I injured it, I wouldn't know I injured it, that wouldn't be ideal, right? That would not be what I wanted. Numbness is good for a season, perhaps, but you can't stay there. 
You need to move back into a place of acknowledging reality, working through the hardship and the pain, and seeking what God is doing in it. Psalm 23 says this, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For God, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Even in hardship and pain and in loss, God can comfort us. His direction, his correction, can help us through that house of mourning. We might walk through that front door. He'll be with us, guiding us through, and then we can get out into the backyard, into the wide open spaces again. But we've got to walk through the house with God by our side. Verse 5 and 6 then talks about the song and the laughter of fools. It says that they're like crackling thorns under the pot. Crackling thorns sounds a little bit like a 90s band to me. I don't know. <laughs> crackling thorns. But the writer here is saying that the song and the laughter of fools is short-lived. And it doesn't amount to much. It's not going to really achieve anything for us. It's like burning thorns under a pot of water that you're trying to boil. They're going to start quick. They're going to flash and be bright, but they're going to burn out fast and not do what you need them to do. It's not going to help you cook that meal in that pot. On the other hand is the correction of a wise person or his wisdom in the midst that has some substance to it can actually get some work done. Proverbs 27 says, better is the open rebuke, better is open rebuke than a hidden kiss, a hidden love, sorry. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. You could sit with that for a couple days, couldn't you? And just let it understand what is, it, what is that saying to us? The wounds of a friend can be trusted. I don't know about you, but I don't enjoy having my mistakes pointed out to me. I don't enjoy going into a conversation where I know I'm going to have to admit that I failed in some way or I messed up or I didn't think something through very well. I don't look forward to those kinds of conversations. There's even times where I'll avoid talking to people that don't agree with my approach to life, that don't share my beliefs. I'll avoid talking to them because I know it's going to be difficult. This is exactly what this proverb is talking about. Most of us carry around with us a confirmation bias. We like to listen to and read and hear and hang out with people that think the way I think, that believe what I believe, that vote the way I vote, that hold the same kind of social standards that I hold. And we need to be around other people that believe differently than us, that will challenge us, that will stretch us. Friends that might speak words that are hard for us to hear. The wounds of a friend are good when they can be trusted. I, have, there's a, I sat with Kerwin this last week and had coffee. He goes to, he's one of our friends here at Hillcrest. And he was talking to me about what intentionally he's meeting with people that believe differently than him. And he's going, getting coffee with them. He's recording their conversations. And he's not going to like debate with them. He says, I'm going to ask questions and to listen and to understand why they believe what they believe. There's wisdom in that. There's wisdom that he's going to stretch his understanding. He's going to challenge himself. And, and we need to lean into that. This is, this is wisdom. A wise person invites challenges to their system of understanding. It helps us grow. I have to remind myself that when someone takes the time and energy to, to challenge me, to stretch me in, in real ways because they, they care about me and they want to see me grow, I, I need to appreciate that. I need to trust that. I need to seek it out. That's what wisdom does. The next few verses here, verses 7, 8, and 9, uh, talk about things that can make us the fool, our, our compromise for financial gain, our pride, our lack of patience, our uncontrolled anger. Those are things that might masquerade like wisdom. It might look like you're in control, that you got it all together, that you know what you're doing. It might look like wisdom, but the teacher here says they're just masquerades. They're just masks that we put on. There's no shortcut to this kind of wisdom. These things, these appearance things are traps. They will, they will trip you up. 
You need to lean in and, and look for how does real wisdom grow? And there's this great image in the New Testament where Paul writes to his, uh, his friends in Galatia and he says, here's what wisdom looks like. It's the fruit that comes out of our lives. And he uses this illustration of fruit, which Andrew talked about with the vine. You take a seed and you put it in the ground and then you have to wait and it grows and it has to go through the seasons. It has to go through uh, uh, times of drought. It has to go through hardship. It has to go through pruning and struggle and stormy days and sunny days. Seeds aren't flashy and fast, just like wisdom. Wisdom is seldom flashy and fast. But over time, it can produce something that brings life. And Paul says in the New Testament, there's this, these seeds, as they grow, they become fruit like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Those, that's the fruit of wisdom as it comes out of your life, evidence that you are growing in wisdom. The short passage here, it finishes up with this reminder that when you're going through hard times, it's sometimes tempting to look back and wish for the the better days. To look back, it says, uh, don't say, why were the old days better than these? It's not a wise question to ask. It's because when we look back, we often just see the good things. We, we forget about the hardships. It's almost like a, a th- something our brain does to protect us, you know? We don't think about the difficulties that we had to face, even though they were there. Every season has its struggle and its challenge. The, the good old days, they weren't good for everybody. They weren't good for us also, but there are, they weren't good for everybody. I think about today we're celebrating Juneteenth for the second time as a nation. This day where slavery was, was um, the news that slavery had ended reached Galveston, Texas, and, and those who were enslaved celebrated their freedom. We can celebrate freedom for people. But that just tells me that the good old days, they weren't good for everybody. Even though 40, 50, 60 years ago, people continue to struggle to be treated in equity. And this is a reality that we have to remember. So the writer here says, don't just look back and say, why were those days so much better than these? That's not a wise question. And then verse 11, wisdom's like an inheritance. And I I connect that to the reputation in verse 1. A good reputation, a good inheritance, those are the, that's what comes in our life as we live with wisdom. We're known as a wise person. We have an inheritance of wisdom to pass on to others. God wants to stretch us and grow us in this. There is wisdom when we lose something that can comfort us. Wisdom can embrace, should embrace the reality that our days are limited. Wisdom listens to truth, even when it challenges us and pushes against what we take for granted. Wisdom can help us grow, even in hardship. So let's ask God to continue to help us grow in these ways. I want to invite you to pray with me, talk to God about these things, and just invite him to continue to stretch us that we might grow in wisdom. As the worship team comes to lead us, uh, let's, let's close our eyes, bow our heads, let's talk to God together. Will you do that? Father God, thank you for the wisdom of this passage. Thank you for speaking through King Solomon and giving us these words that here we are thousands of years later still looking at them, still processing them. Father, when we go through hard seasons of life, we're thankful that you are with us, that you are faithful and good, that we can trust you, that you weep with us, that you don't abandon us, And we're thankful that in the hardship, you can help us learn something new. So Father, we pray that you would, in the thing we're thinking about right now, that hard thing we're thinking about right now, that loss, that sorrow in our life, Father, would you cause us to begin to look at it differently? Would you cause us to see what you want us to learn through that experience, through that loss? Would you grow in us a hope 
that our life will go on, that there is more work yet to do, that as we trust in you, as we rely on you, there is purpose and meaning in our life, that the frustrations that King Solomon wrote, those words when he said meaningless, everything is meaningless, he he wasn't walking hand in hand with you in that season of his life. And we're thankful that as we walk with you, that you can bring meaning and depth to everything we encounter. So Father, would you help us see with new eyes what you're doing, even today. Thank you for your presence with us this this morning, for this time in your word. We just offer it to you. Continue to help us grow in wisdom. We thank you for your grace, for your mercy, for your forgiveness through your son Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.